You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to a bonus episode of Disability After Dark. I am excited to pop in on your ear holes on this casual Tuesday. Hey, uh, thank you for joining me on this bonus episode. I am so excited to bring this one to you that I couldn't wait to, to bring this bonus episode to you right now. And I figured I'm the boss. I run this podcast. I can do an extra show this week if I want to. Why not? So let me tell you all about what you're going to hear today. So my friends over at the Cripple Threat Podcast, each week they do a, they do, they review movies and media things around disability and talk about how certain media is connected to disability. So my my friends Anthony and Jamie run that show and I wanted to have them on my show to do an episode of the series that I run on this pod called Great Flicks and Joysticks where we review um, different movies and and themes and figure out if they're disability related or we review disability media and talk about it. So the last one we did of Great Flex and Joy 6 I think was the movie Run. So I wanted to bring on the dudes from the Cripple Threat podcast to review a different kind of film. So this time on Great Flex and Joy 6, Jamie, Anthony and I review the movie the 1986 campy horror classic The Fly with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and we interrogate whether or not this movie is a disability movie. We discovered that there are a lot of themes around disability in The Fly. There's discussions of the body, there's discussions of losing ability, there's discussions of, you know, pregnancy and having having a baby that has disabilities. There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that mirrors disability and mirrors, you know, illness and sickness and disease. And we thought it was a great movie to kind of unpick and unpack and discuss disability through. So I really, really enjoyed doing this with them. We go off on a lot of weird tangents in our discussion, but I really want, I really enjoyed this. And I loved our review of The Fly to determine, is The Fly a disability film well, stay tuned and find out on this episode of Great Flicks and Joysticks on Disability After Dark, right now. Oh yeah, before right now, just because I want to make sure they get all the proper plugs, make sure you, before you press play on the rest of the episode, pop on over to your podcast app and 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 download the Cripple Threat podcast so you get notified when they post a new episode. It's really important that we support other disability-themed podcasts out there because disability media is so sparse and we need more of it, especially in 
the podcast space. So give them a like, give them a listen, and you can hear them right now on this, this episode of Great Flicks and Joysticks on Disability After Dark right now. Hey, everybody. I want to introduce you to, even though you heard me say it in the preamble, I'm going to introduce you to the hosts of the Cripple Threat Podcast, my friends, Anthony and Jamie. Hey, guys. Hey, Andrew. Hey, hey. thanks for having us. This is fun. How's it going? Well, you've heard Tony before. He was on one show way back <laughs> at the beginning. Oh, that's right. You were Quarantine on... and Chill. Yeah, Quarantine and Chill episode one. Was um, that the first episode? It was. It was Dang. of that weird series that died. Uh, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, sort of, but <laughs> not so much anymore. No. No. Um, but Jamie Mendek, we don't know who you are. Um, why don't you tell us who you are? I don't know. I've known you guys since like 2007, 2008. We all went to school together in Ottawa, at Carleton University, and uh, I like I'm met you guys via the attendant care program so we all sort of lived in the same uh area over the years and so there was a, a huge kind of community there and we'd come across each other from time to time uh, and then when i moved off of campus uh into the assisted living program vha uh, anthony happened to be in my building so him and i became really close friends because we were essentially neighbors for a few years and then when COVID hit, um, like, you know, my social life and everyone else's social life died. And I started reaching out to friends that I went to school with because to hang out with somebody in Ottawa is virtually equivalent to hanging out with someone in your immediate area. And we kind of rekindled the friendship or whatever. And oh, decided, rekindled. So yeah. gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty gay. It's like, that, that, it's a gay as a, as a gay sure. person, I can say it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I mean, like, I could have just been like, yeah, you know, Anthony and I are bros and we hang <laughs> out and have drinks and that's talk about that's, sports. That's also yeah. pretty gay. If you have drinks with your bro, I mean, you're angling for some. I feel like you're just saying it's gay if two guys are in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> really, I went to a, on a bus and there was a guy sitting beside me that was gay. I mean, in my dreams, I wish he was gay, but <laughs> correct. Anyway, Tony, why don't you tell us a bit about the podcast you guys produce and let the people know yeah. who you are. Uh, we have a show called Cripple Threat, and uh, basically we review movies and talk about our lives. And when I say movies, I mean, like, generally we try to find movies about disability or with disabled people in them or uh, somehow relating to disability. And then we talk about whether we thought it was a good movie or whether we thought it was uh, a good representation of disability and whether they accurately captured the intricacies of disability, which really just means we talk a lot about like butt wiping and stuff, you know? It, yeah. it, gets, it gets pretty wild. It's pretty fun though. And yeah, just, all, all the nuances of personal hygiene when you like are sitting in a wheelchair all day. Yeah, fun. You yeah, can and, and your whole podcast is about ass wiping in movies. Cool. <laughs> cool. Much, yeah, yeah cool. we should have just called it ass wiping in movies. <laughs> that would have um, been a great name. <laughs> and just for the audience to what what 
just remind us like what disabilities you both have. Right, that's a good question. Um, so I have spinal muscular atrophy, which is uh, I don't. It's just it just means your your muscles start getting weaker uh, over time. If you don't use it, you lose it. They say. Do you have the cool it, type? What the cool? What's the cool type? I it like know, I just, comes with sunglasses or yeah. something. All I know <laughs> is it's like type two or type three, and I'm wondering if you're leveling up. You get diagnosed and they turn your hat backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It's the cool type. Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool for sure. Um, I type, mean, type two, right? Type two, yeah. It means, well, I don't know. Because when I got diagnosed, it was type two. Cause it, was, it was type one when they diagnosed me. And then that, type one just basically means you'll die when you're five. And then I didn't, and they're like, oh, maybe it's type two, or maybe you're just a really good at being type one. So I don't, I don't think they really know what I have. I don't so think they, it really, I think the types only really um, talk about your prognosis. So I think it's like you have SMA, and then they try to use types to say how early in life you'll die or something. So your prognosis is flexible based upon your longevity? Yeah, my, my prognosis is it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, Jamie, what do you got? What do you got going on? I, uh, I have like I have cerebral palsy like Andrew. It's pretty boilerplate. Uh, it affects mostly <laughs> my left side. I'm super spastic. Uh, I can kind of weight bear, but not really uh yada yada i don't know what boilerplate means because isn't yeah so different for yeah everyone? i don't agree with that at all there's i don't think there's a boilerplate version of cp it's i talk to people with cp every day for this show and for like different things and every single person with cp is like just a little bit different than the last one well <laughs> you guys are similar in your ability levels you and jamie right i mean i know i think jamie is much more able than i am much you can, you okay, can that's you can that's like true. Walk a little bit, Andrew, right? did you notice? Did you notice Jamie's staircase behind him? Did you oh, call? God. Did you say Jamie or Gamey? Because Jamie, I'm there for both. <laughs> I hope I didn't say Gamey, but if I did, I'll start calling him that. No, <laughs> I'm okay staircase. with you. So, oh no, I didn't realize the staircase. I just thought right. it was for non-disabled people there in the house. No. <laughs> Do you want me to explain what the staircase is, uh, Anthony and Andrew? Sure, so, for, the, for the audience that can't see it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I I can't really like go for walks around my neighborhood because the the sidewalk conditions are super precarious and it's like an older area, so it really hurts my like upper body and shoulders to have to like move around outside. <clears throat> so I asked my dad very recently if he could build me a small like wooden staircase, like with like short steps that was like encased in a wooden railing. So I'd feel safe. And then, so a couple times a day, I just go up the steps and I turn around and come down. And oh, the it's, like a, it's like a workout. It's like a home gym. It's like yeah. A- it's like a little, little square of rehab exercise in the corner of my garage. <laughs> it's and a, so it's a, it's a four square, gimp square. Trying to make a joke here that's not working. Uh, Tony, help me out. You're funny. Figure it out. <laughs> four square, isn't that just like an app that 
wasn't Foursquare like in, in any way. The reason I brought it up is because we were trying to compare ability levels and obviously Andrew would just stare at that and be like, why is it in my way? And Jamie yeah. uses it to like prove that he's able-bodied. Mm. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Um, this episode's <laughs> already gone off the rails. For anybody who's listening, it's like, what the fuck is this? The the point of the show today is for me to was for me to bring my friends on because they, like they said, like Tony said, do a show called Crippled Threat where they review movies around disability, and we thought it'd be fun to review to do that on this show. And P.S. I kind of stole the concept for uh, great flicks and joysticks from this from this idea so i stole it from this um <laughs> so well, to be fair you and i andrew tried to or thought about doing a similar podcast yeah we tried and we and then it didn't work out we, we, we it did not work out because we have we're both very type a humans and so we both wanted to be in charge which didn't work so um but so I thought we'd do an episode of Grey Flicks and Joy Slicks. Whoa, let me try that again. Grey Flicks and Joy Slicks today with the host of Cripple Threat. And we're going to review what movie? Any, either one of you? The Fly. Yeah, we're going to review The Fly because apparently it's a disability movie, which when I first watched it with you guys last week, I didn't believe it was a disability movie at all. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? How I kept saying to you, like, how are we watching this? And how are we going to connect disability to this? And both of you were like, oh, uh, at first. Uh, yeah. Well, I had the same thought. Because we almost did it for our show. And so Jamie and I had watched it like a couple months ago. And while we were watching it, I was like, Jamie, I don't know. This is a stretch. We're early on into the podcast. I don't feel like we can be going this far left into the field to try to figure out whether or not this is a disability podcast. And then Jamie did a pretty good job of selling it to me. And I was like, yeah, but what about this and this and this, which we'll get into. But then we watched it again with you. And I was still on the fence. But honestly, by the end of the movie... I'm, I'm fully sold that it's a disability movie. Yeah, it is. And I actually found some articles about the fly. And I can't I can't think of any specific quotes, but I found some articles that said basically that it was an it was a discussion of um aging and getting older and like that oh. too. Well, and it was also because it was it was done in the eighties. some people have said that it could be a an allegory for AIDS. Um yeah, it's the inherent social isolation of the sick and the dying is what it tries to explore. Um, and I, I think it's also super relevant for like today because if you were living alone during the pandemic and you were a weird scientist with like pods in your house, you could, <laughs> if you wanted to, become a fly. <laughs> right. So how does your... Uh... Great flicks and joysticks. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, that's it. How does that how's that go? Do you like, go over the plot first? I mean we pretty much we pretty much go go over the yeah, we go over the plot and like talk about key points and then I just kind of like review the movie and put in where I think disability is or isn't. Okay. 
and I mean, it's so very you similar. Start at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to what you do. So, okay. I mean, the plot of the movie is Seth Brundle, played by <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, uh, has has a bunch of pods in his house, which is never really fully explained. And um, did did we ever find out if he's a scientist? Did he say he was? Actually, Andrew, I want to ask, as a man of men, I don't know. Do you think that he's an attractive person? Um, I, whoa, this is uh, do, I can't, I don't see, I don't know what people I mean. Listen, I think that 1980s Jeff Goldblum was pretty hot, yes, really. I mean, did you see all those scenes of him in his apartment, like flexing and working out? And I mean, uh, he was so like, you'd probably think it was hot to see, like. A disabled man trying to climb some stairs in his basement. I, I don't know what correlation you're making here, Tony. He's Just trying to say... Out. <laughs> sure. Anytime sure. there could be a Rocky anthem playing. There could be. Right. Um. So yeah, Seth Brundle, who is Jeff Goldblum, is a scientist, I guess. It's never fully explained that he is a scientist, I don't think. Um, but I think we're meant to assume he is because he has pods in his house. So he takes he takes Gina Davis to his house, shows her the pods, and is like, "Hey, these pods are cool." <laughs> and then and then um, and then they fuck around a bunch. He tells her his like plan to basically he wants to use these pods in his house to like teleport one thing one material from over there to over there that's all the pods that's all we learn about the pods initially yeah he he demos uh the telepods to her by asking her to remove an article of clothing so there's like a lot of sexual tension throughout the the first demo of his equipment that we see (laughs) she like takes off the lace Mm -hmm. and like puts it in the machine and then he moves it from one pod to another and he's like, oh, isn't this great? It's very good. And then like, <laughs> and then she like removes the her clothes clothing from the pod, and she's like, Seth, like, what the fuck just happened? Like, did you just was this a ploy to get me into your scary loft that looks like a car mechanic's garage in a Tim Burton movie? And uh, and he's like, no, no, you have to help me uh, get exposure uh, to my research. I, I can't do a fucking you can. You're doing it. No, he doesn't he, even want. He doesn't even want exposure. And all of a sudden, she starts recording, and he's like, "What the fuck? Why are you recording me? Like, what's going on? Don't oh. don't use this." Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. You're exactly right. It's it, he is just really flexing his research to try to get laid. He's trying to be like particular moment. I just teleported your panties from one telepod to the next telepod. Fuck me now. And she's like, "Ooh, cool. Let me record this." <laughs> and he's like, now I would like to teleport you to my uh, bed. <laughs> and then and then he she takes it to her like to her weird creepy boss slash ex-boyfriend. Who, yeah. Who like he, she says, look, I have this tape of him, but he doesn't want me to use it. What do I do? And he, and he's like, oh, you should just run it, run it. Like, let's make a story out of it. And then then Jeff Goldblum shows up again and is like, hey, don't run this. And then somehow they're in a they're in a McDonald's together talking. Yeah, they're having a cheeseburger, and she like very slyly persuades him of the benefit of the rest of the world knowing about these devices, 
So they come to some kind of agreement. Um, and I, I forget why Jeff Goldblum concedes. I think it's maybe just that he's in love with Gina Davis. I think it's which, that he wants to bang her. Not even that he's in love with her, that he wants to bang her. I, well, there's there's sparks are. Oh, flying. yeah, I forgot. Also, Jamie thinks the fly is a love story, and I'm going to fight you all the way fucking through. <laughs> the fly I mean, is not a. <laughs> kind of. Shut up. You were on my side last week when we watched it. What the fuck happened? I was on your side <laughs> at the beginning, but by the end of it, I was like, nah, I think I'm sold. I feel like I, I was like, it's not a disability movie. It's not a love story. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, yeah, it's both. Yeah, um, see, guys, it's like, I am uh, always right. <laughs> don't agree. Don't Hard agree. disagree. No, no, no. Um, so then, uh, so then, okay. And then, and then, so he takes her back to his apartment a second time after they fuck or they're going to fuck. And for some reason, he has a baboon in the telepod and I was very curious to know where David Cronenberg got a baboon to even be in the scene it was very weird um but David I guess... Cronenberg is probably the kind of guy that has a baboon true it, it might have been really chic for like 80s yuppie culture like single men in Hollywood to have pet baboons <laughs> I, don't know. I rescued this baboon <laughs> Yeah. Actually, the bedroom rescued me. <laughs> what? Nah, nah, nah. Um, so then he's in the he's in his telepod with her. No, he's nope. in he's in the place with her and the baboon, and he puts he goes to transfer the baboon to the other telepod, and the thing shorts out, and like the baboon dies, and you see this like really scary, gross, oh. but really cool eighties like version of the baboon inside out. Basically, it's like chicken carcass yeah um, it's like animatronics right practical effects and that's what Cronenberg is so well known for is like realistic body horror vis-a-vis like elaborate makeup and like on-set mechanics like making it so there's this there's this sort of apparent unreality of the of the practical effect but at the same time it's not CGI so it's not the same kind of dissonance that your brain usually pr- produces when you're looking at a computer image. And so there's like, there's just an authenticity of the thing actually being there, even if it doesn't totally resemble like an inverted baboon, you know what I mean? So it really it, the, the horror comes across and we sort of get the point that his telepods are not capable of transporting human life. And that's kind of when you know you're watching a horror movie because at first it's like, oh, this weird scientist wants to teleport things from one teleport to another teleport. Like you don't really know you're watching a horror movie yet. And then that's where you're like, okay, yeah, it's a horror movie for sure. And then I think right after that, they, him and the reporter have like sexy time. And then she leaves him to go do something. And he sees a fly, he sees a fly like buzzing around the teleporter and he gets in the teleporter and he tries to like teleport himself from. Well, he doesn't see the fly, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I thought he saw the fly. There, there, there's a couple extra details here, Andrew. Like, um, so uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, they sleep together. Seth and Ronnie—that's their characters' names. Um, and then Ronnie kind of realizes that her boss Stathis is is still trying to get the scoop from Seth's research because she sees a letter from him on on. Seth's like counter or something and 
also there's a sexual history between Ronnie and her boss and her boss is getting extremely possessive and territorial. He's effectively threatened by Seth Brundle because he's not only a genius, but he's a kind of like, like introspective, emotionally intelligent, sensitive guy. And so Ronnie like goes to confront her boss um, because she, she effectively needs to end her relationship and set a hard boundary. Um, she just like, she has to conclude her old life is what she tells Seth. Um, and then when she leaves uh, Seth's apartment, he starts to grow really jealous because he starts to feel that in fact, there is a, an old a lingering relationship between her and her boss. And so in an act of kind of like defiance and jealousy, he decides to try to transport himself in the telepods. He was previously going to do it with Ronnie in the room, you know, oh, like, yeah, I forgot about together, that. like kind of like, you know, as a gesture of, of trust and bonding between them, you know, like this is our thing. But then because he feels like she's going to betray him or that she's deceived him, he's like, fuck you, Ronnie, I'm going to transport myself. And he does this while he's drunk. So he doesn't notice that there's a housefly in the pod at the time. So he just sort of like, you know, impetuously like runs into the machine and then transports himself and his his DNA gets fused with that of a housefly. I mean, I think right there is where we could also like the whole discussion of using technology to like teleport. That's a whole that's the whole we can we can get into disability right there because like you guys know how shitty transit is. Disability mm. transit especially is horrible. How great would it be to have a little pod in your in our house and that could take us anywhere we want to go in in a flash yeah imagine that was what city transportation was oh my god you just like waited a bus stop and teleportation device picks you up what if you had to worry about like the presence of a common house insect in the fly every time or some other kind of like biological element that you wouldn't want to inadvertently fuse with your genome or whatever the fuck well, I mean, well, I think I was... you'd have to assume that they would have done some testing. Yeah. And yeah. enough grundles would have died in the making. <laughs> but th- there would also are. be this like this like inherent existential crisis of what is a person because it implies like you disassemble someone and then instantly reassemble them in a new location. Is that new person ostensibly the same body? Like do they have the same soul? There's like all kinds of weird like metaphysical questions at play. And I don't think you could ever feasibly answer them. Well, that's what like, that's what I think the movie, when I first watched it, I thought that's what the movie was trying to answer. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to explore, you know, like soul and body and uh, connection there. And if you teleport through this machine, do you just become some perfect clone of yourself minus your personality? But then the movie took a weird David Cronenberg hard left. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's there's one more detail I, I want to mention before we move on. So um, before this moment where Seth like inadvertently fuses himself with a fly, like, like I said before, the machine um, wasn't able to properly transfer the baboon because it didn't understand 
the nature of living flesh. And it's only after Seth has sex with Ronnie and he has this like intimate moment of which you sort of get the sense that he's like sexually like and romantically inexperienced. Like she might be his first in any kind of like meaningful way, unfortunately. But so he has <laughs> sex with her and all of a sudden he has this like great epiphany, like, oh, this is what my machine is missing. It doesn't understand what, uh, what passion is like what the flesh is and so he tries to take this this carnal lesson that he learns from this woman Whoa, and apply carnal it. lesson what are we listening to like a 19th century like literature class on <laughs> <laughs> yes andrew i'm a super dork um but yeah so you know he takes his carnal lesson <laughs> and he like codes it into his computer and you have to think for a moment that you know like maybe he doesn't quite understand what intimacy is yet you know, like maybe, or, or, you know, love or relationships or whatever. And so he's taking this sort of this impression of what that means to connect with another person and giving it to the machine. And he might not have necessarily a pure idea or understanding of what he's doing. And so it may not just be that he, you know, fuses with the fly and that's his like untimely undoing or whatever. It could be a whole bunch of like, uh, assumptions about the nature of man or the nature of being i don't know i mean i guess there's disability stuff in there too like a lot of disabled people don't have sexual encounters until much later in life because of disability and a lot of disabled people don't really know what they're doing quote unquote who the fuck does but like they don't learn um about their own sexuality until much later and so they are like you talk about how he didn't know he might have not have known like what connection was and i felt when you said that, I was like, oh, a lot of disabled people feel that way too. And so maybe it is more a disability movie than I realized. That's that's yeah. that's very true. A lot of disabled people are extremely high functioning individuals, you know, like highly specialized and, and totally capable, like in a professional <laughs> domain or whatever. I'm going to stop you and say highly specialized in what I don't know, like, like I, disabled people can make teleporters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Think of all of the, the amazing things that Tony can do, and like all of your like concurrent endeavors, concurrent I, endeavors. I also wondered if I also wondered if when I was watching if Seth Brundle was a member of the autistic community, or if we were supposed to believe that he was for sure had a, had a learning disability. And of course, you know, in the '80s they wouldn't have cast. Fuck, even now they wouldn't cast an artistic actor but I'm, I was always I was curious the whole way through if he was supposed to be an autistic person yeah like, you do kind of get like, those vibes right sorry Anthony yeah. go ahead well you do get the vibes but I wonder if it's maybe that he is just that kind of guy like he's super into his work and so he doesn't get socialization outside of that so his social skills are lacking as a result. I think if they redid the fly now in like 2021, it would be cool if they, if they, if they, if, and correct me if you don't agree, but it would be cool if they'd cast like a, an artistic actor to like, to be him. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think it would even further sell the significance of the moment where he does actually make a connection with Ronnie because it appears to be that she's interested him on the basis of his intelligence and his like tenacity with, you know, with his like job or whatever. So yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. They did cast a house fly. So that's good, right? <laughs> they cut. 
Did they know? Yeah, it was a re- that was for sure a real health. Fly. It was totally a real fly. I was. Did they have? Did they have like a fly wrangler, or like a bug guy that had to like? Yeah. They just had the fly like you know visible uh, on the window of the telepod. So they probably just had a fly in a jar, you know, from some Gil Grissom Gil Grissom type like <laughs> onset like bugologist or something. And then they had to just wait there until it landed on the window. That was like their longest day of shooting because they didn't have a very good fly trainer. So they just had to wait until the fly happened to land on the window of the pond. Um, so then... But that's a good point, Andrew, about how, you know, like uh, the, the correlation between him being sort of a like socially inept scientist who was also sexually inexperienced. Like, I mean, I didn't have my first carnal lesson until <laughs> Until what? Until what? Until 19. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> oh, God. I think Jamie's <laughs> still waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think 19 is pretty old for a guy in my generation to have his first carnal lesson. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what? Well, but, but, you know, thinking about how many people with disabilities that I've talked to on this show, it's actually, it's pretty early from a lot of the people that I've talked to didn't even get to explore that. So I don't know. Yeah. And lots of times it's like the first time they like are able to go out uh, and drink or party or whatever is in their like yeah. the mid 20s or early to mid 20s. Like, well, it was the first time I was able to. Yeah, I wasn't living at home, so I could, I, I didn't have to go home to my parents' house. You think about like the logistics of having friends over to your place, like it wasn't always that easy, or you like could very rarely ever go out yeah. to see them yeah. wherever they are. Uh... Yeah, I, it was basically just people would have to come to my place because I could never go to their place. But then always coming to my place, there was always so much, like, it was chaos in my house. And so it wasn't always an inviting place for people to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even now at 37, God, I'm old. Even now at 37, like, I would love to go to a guy's place and fuck and, like, see their house and see how they, <laughs> how they live. Because with all my disability equipment, like, like I have to invite them over here for carnal lessons um <laughs> i i love how uh like seeing their house is secondary to fucking them yeah, yeah you can fuck outside and then go see the house yeah 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 um uh so so yeah so then he he t- he does the teleportation he thinks he's fine and like all of a sudden seth brundle he gets really strong he's really Oh yeah, it turns into like a superhero movie for a minute. For like a hot second, it turns into like Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man's getting all his powers. When he's like sleeping, and then the fly buzzes over his head, and he wakes up to catch the fly. Like he he catches it before he realizes that he's catching something. (laughs) And he gets all like super strength, and he like goes to a bar and breaks the guy's arm. Oh yeah. During an arm wrestle, I also feel it's important to note that they shot that film ten minutes from my house, um, and you can see like the skyline of Toronto, and you can see like Toronto cabs, and it was really cool because I'm a big '80s nerd, so to see like 
my town in the 80s movie like, people are gonna start doxing you they're gonna like do it figure out like a 10 mile radius from where it was shot and then just start knocking on doors till they find you yeah they'll ask you to teach them a carnal lesson i'm, <laughs> I'm down for it i'll teach you a carnal lesson let's go um <laughs> <laughs> so then he, he breaks the dude's arm and he takes some girl from the bar back home to fuck her and he's really like forceful about it because i guess we're supposed to believe that all flies want to do is is like procreate right because he gets in it right and then he comes out and he's super fly man and (laughs) super fly (laughs) super fly so he tries to get uh what's her name I don't know who Ronnie. she is. He tries Ronnie. to get Ronnie to go in. He tries to like force her in. Yeah, she's like, I'm not. I don't know what what's going on in there. I don't want to end up with like my tail on my shoulder or something. So like, she doesn't do it, and then he gets upset. And he's like, Well, fine. You don't want to be a superhero? Then I'll go find someone else to be a superhero. Actually, I think his exact words were "fuck you, Ronnie," and then she like leaves, and then she like leaves his place crying, and like. He's like, fine, Seth, I won't come back. And then he goes into a bar and breaks that guy's arm in an arm wrestle. Which, also, that scene for, like, 80s, for 80s, like, graphics Door. was pretty, yeah. was pretty gross. Um, and then he takes some girl home from the bar and he fucks her a bunch. And then Ronnie comes back and is like, I just wanted to, I just wanted to see you and make sure you're all right. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he keeps, like, you can see him getting more fly-like and more weird because he keeps drinking it, but he drinks coffee with a bunch of sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's like a hair growing out of his shoulder because he cut himself on a circuit board. Like his his metabolism and his biology is changing rapidly. So he like comes out of the machine and he's like hyper-testosterone man. And he gets really full on himself over these apparent newfound powers right and there's almost this moment of hope too in the, in the early moments of his transformation where you wonder if in fact he will be okay and um i never really cared about him did anyone else i had no feelings for him i was like okay like i didn't because i knew it was the fly i never had any moments of like i feel for you i, I think really i care. cared for him because i wanted their love to work out yeah same here because i was like i could see some of that in me you know learning the late carnal lessons and just being obsessed with the weird stuff and, and the weird girl stuff. finally takes interest and wait, wait definitely... anthony what's an example of weird stuff that you're currently obsessed with yeah i don't know like tech stuff you know i'm always like come check it out i can turn on my own lights with my balcony that's my impression of <laughs> you make that noise after you flaunt your technology or yeah. is, that the, is that the noise you make up do you have a carnal lesson um so let's go back let's go back a second would either of you if using a telepod was a way to cure disability would either of you do it oh wait like cure my disability or everyone's disability yeah your disability if they were like hey tony we found this telepod would you would you, first of all, would you go in the telepod period? Uh, before it was tested, probably not. So this is an interesting question, Andrew, because like if you think about it, 
Um, like you've had a number of uh, orthopedic surgeries, correct? Yeah. Uh, and I have too. And Anthony, you've had a number of surgeries throughout your life, right? Yeah. And one, one big one. One? one, big one. Oh, you're a surgery, baby. We got to yeah, get I've that had number like up. A couple other small ones. But we got to get that number up. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so like, so most of these surgeries happened when we were not adults. So we couldn't like consent really, like, or we couldn't make informed consent as to whether or not we should have these procedures. I know mine in particular were extremely extensive. They, they, they like knocked me out for months at a time. And so yeah, I guess my point is you like, wanted to wait until you were an adult to get that surgery. No, I'm just saying that I, I couldn't, I couldn't choose. Like right. I didn't have a choice. I mean, when I was sixteen, they told they told me then that's when I had my spinal fusion, and they told me that if I didn't get the surgery in like five to ten years after that, I would I would probably stop breathing. And so they it wasn't really a choice for me. It was like yeah, I have to I have to do this to live. Right? Yeah. Like in order to have a reasonable quality of life, like these are the things you have to do. But what I'm trying to say is like we've put ourselves through the, like these invasive procedures, like basically hoping and like knowing fairly well that, the, that it would pan out positively for us, but there's a certain amount of inherent risk to it. And it, and it's, it's a lot. Uh, and our parent, our parent, like oftentimes like going through those procedures, our parents weigh heavily on those, on those choices, on those experiences yeah and so yeah like like choosing to use a telepod in the hope that it might improve our quality of life is like a similar kind of decision i suppose i mean if i could get in the telepod as myself fully super crippled and really really disabled and then yeah. like then go to the place where he's like breaking arms and flying and climbing walls and doing really cool stunts and yeah. not turn into the creepy fly man sure i'd do that like <laughs> That'd be great. That's a lot of ifs, yeah. though. So, just like you come out. What if you came out and you were super, super strong, but you were still that weirdo? You don't turn into Fly Man, like you don't develop like disfigurement that makes you look like a fly, but you're still like, oh, I'm going to the bar. I mean. I watch Golden Girls before I go to sleep, so I'm already like I'm already like <laughs> teetering towards the this weirdness. guy doesn't. <laughs> I watch Golden Girls and I watch Murder She Wrote before I go to bed, so I'm I'm already teetering teetering towards that like old timey weird recluse thing. So it sounds I mean, like you wish you could cure disability so you could start knitting. No, <laughs> let me be clear. I don't want to. The question was, would you cure your disability? Not I want to cure it. It's just it's a question that I think is interesting to like tackle if. Either of you could wake up and not be disabled tomorrow, would you do it? Yes. Yeah. I think do. my answer is yes too, but qualified with like, well, it has to be well tested or something. You know, like a like a, a few thousand other wheelies would have had to attempted <laughs> the cure. <laughs> and I would want to be able to be the same person, like with the same memories and personality. Like I wouldn't want to just be able-bodied, but basically like re-rolling my personality so what if you got what if you what if you went in the telepod you came out able-bodied you had basically all your all your memories and like 
your concept of yourself and your personality and everything else, all your values, but you don't explicitly remember ever being disabled. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that one. I don't think I, I don't know if I would or not. Uh, I don't know either. Because uh, even, even though you have your memories, I think a lot of my memories are tied to my disability. So mm -hmm. cutting that part out, I might just think I'm like, the most empathetic guy for no reason, bro. <laughs> you know? Would you if you did that and you for were no able reason. to like, if you were to go into the telepod and do all that? Do you think that you would still call yourself disabled afterwards, or would you not? What? Oh, so, so that's so. If I was, if we were able bod or disabled, then we went in, came out fully able bodied, still remembered that we used to be disabled but now we don't have a disabled body, would I still identify as disabled? Yeah. That's a big questions on the show today. Big existential questions. This is, yeah, this is fun. This is kind of like a game we play on our show, but uh, a lot more heady. I don't know. I think I would, I don't think I would identify as disabled anymore. What game do you play on your show? And let's play it here. Cause, cause why not? It's called, it's called wheel breakers. And so we ask a question, um, would you like give up your disability, but there's a catch essentially. Okay. So, do so it. like, would you give up your disability, but every day you have to eat a tiny piece of shit with your dinner <laughs> or something like Which is one that we've actually had. Yeah. Or like one more, like less silly or stupid one is like, would you give up your disability, but you can't say the words I love you. But you can show love. Okay, let's use that one. Wait, start get... with the shit one, Andrew. <laughs> no. 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 If I just, give my... just don't even think about it. No. The toxins in your body, you die young. You're not supposed to eat shit. It's not. <laughs> Wait, you can control it. Gross. Because it's your own shit. No. Disgusting. <laughs> no. Okay. I tried to sell you on it. Um, and so I can't say I love you, but I can show I love you through actions and words and other stuff. Yeah. Then but okay. You can never like somebody would say I love you, and you can't be like I love you too. You just be like thumbs up. <laughs> well, what if what if like they understood that thumbs up was like I love you, but I can't say it. But you can't tell them that you can't say it. Oh, you. you just added other stuff in there that wasn't there before. Yeah, no, we're not moving the goalposts. You can't say the phrase "I love you." Yeah, but you can't explain that you can't say it. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course not. That'd be Fails. way too easy. No yeah. failure. That's, I don't like that. Then no. Did you see how yeah. like crazy that is? It's like so important to be able to say i love you that like you wouldn't give up your disabilities yeah no what if you meet someone who can't say i love you later on in life and you're just like damn it i could have taken the deal i <laughs> <laughs> um, just could have been both communicating with thumbs up okay so tony or jamie keep going because i don't know what, know what part we're at we're so so that so he is slowly becoming the fly um okay so Basically, yeah, after he comes out of the pod, he becomes a, a jackass, like an arrogant, aggressive, abusive asshole. He has like a crazy sex drive. 
So him and Ronnie like sleep together a lot, but she starts to realize that he's turning into her old boyfriend. Like, you know, that maybe he doesn't have. And also she keeps touching his back and being like, yo, there's this gross hair there. You really want to get him? (laughs) Yeah. She's trying to tell him that he's sick, but he won't listen because he's like way too full of himself. And you kind of get the sense that like, so, you, you know, in the foreground of the movie, like he is turning into a bug and he's sort of losing his better judgment and his humanity. But at the same time, like this is also the trajectory of a lot of like toxic relationships. And so like, like if you watch the movie through the lens of Ronnie, like you kind of see her bouncing between these men who just like are not treating her well. And like you, like you really feel for her and it seems somewhat realistic that like Seth Brundle, like, you know, after proving that his, technology works and that he um um and and that he's getting stronger now so he's starting to like feel alpha i suppose that it, it makes like his sort of like arc into this like bad man seems kind of emotionally realistic like independent of the science fiction elements of the movie you know what i mean so there's all there's all that kind of like going on and you're just kind of like hoping that he eventually clues in that he is in fact sick and that it happens before he harms like the women in his life. So yeah. Tony, now that we got the the um, film studies 101 version of what's happening, tell me <laughs> tell me tell me again what's uh what's so 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 that happens and then <laughs> then he then he then he you know he continues to progress into the fly yeah he like just gets sicker and sicker and he starts he starts climbing the walls which again if i went into the end of the telepod and then came out being able to climb the walls from a physical disability standpoint i'm all for it. that's that's great yeah like uh, increased mobility and stuff uh, like also in addition to your average able-bodied person it'd be like it'd be a definite power fantasy to kind of like rub the able-bodied world's nose and your like newfound powers okay uh well i mean i think that was a pretty good explanation i don't need to go over that but what if what about this hypothetical what if i could tell you i could cure your disability but there's you get let's say 12 years of being re- like able-bodied as fuck like you can do pull-ups and push-ups and break a man's arm and arm wrestle if you want to but then after 12 years Uh-oh. you become more disabled than your current trajectory is setting you on so you you get 12 years of perfect able-bodiedness and then the rest of your life you're very very disabled I'm already very disabled. Like, no, there's always a bigger fish. Okay. Um, like, like the most. So the movie would be called Twelve Years a Gimp, and I would <laughs> totally watch it. Um, <laughs> no, but like, if so, twelve years of complete able-bodiedness, and like, yeah. would all the gay dudes ever want to fuck me all the time? Well, well, yeah, that's you, still you, up to you. Uh, you still have to work for it, but yeah, you could you work toward like, it. I'm not giving you some weird pheromone shit or something. Listen, okay, all right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, would me 
would me be becoming more disabled after the 12 years mean that I would die sooner? Mm, that's a good question. Um, let's say you get 12 and 12. No, I guess you can't say that. Uh, no, it doesn't affect your lifespan. It just affects your physical ability level. Would I still have the ability to speak? Mm, no. But I could still communicate? Uh, you, could, you could use a bliss board. That's a hard one because I think all forms of communication are valid and important, but I, I love being able to speak and I love like, fair. what I do, how I'm able to communicate with my words. And I don't, obviously you can communicate with your words of the bliss board, but. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to like, it's like texting, right? But it's Someone like, is implying the intonation for you and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough one. Um, but you get 12 years of being able to just go crazy. I mean, 12 years from now, I would, I'll be 30, 49. So, okay. like, to be a hot daddy in my 40s, fucking everything that moved would be super fun. <laughs> Not gonna lie, it'd be super fun. Do you think uh, it would always be in the back of your mind, though? Like, the timer's ticking. Well, I feel that way now about disability. I feel that way now right. because my disability has rapidly, I, I don't want to say progressed, but it's changed from even five years ago. Like, yeah. And so I, st- I think I would. I think you I would. You take it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't even know if I would. Uh, I mean, the, the trajectory I'm on, I'm going to be pretty disabled eventually, I think. But being more disabled than that would be hard. And I think the other thing that would be really hard is like the black and white change. Like you go from being fully able-bodied and then back to like really, your life would be really, really hard. Or at least it would be for me. And so that quick shift would be harder to adapt to than my current disability which is like sort of slowly progressing so I can kind of roll with the punches a bit more would you be again this is a one big thought experiment everyone listening we're this is not we're just we're just talking shit here literally um would yeah, you prep these questions yeah we, we're just we're just this we're just this is coming out of our brains right now hot off the press would you <laughs> would you what was my question i forget now i forget what i was gonna say oh fuck it was good too something about disability <laughs> kid jamie would you do the 12 years thing yeah uh i don't know there's so many unknowns yeah you, like you actually don't know the extent of your sacrifice or whatever right so what if, if you're we more... made it like a hard and fast this is what your disability will look like after is that what you mean but then but then the ex- the thought experiment is less interesting maybe i don't know it it because i think essentially what we're asking of ourselves right now is like are we okay 
with the current trajectory of our disabilities as is, or would we take being like more mobile in the short term? I, I yeah, think my answer like would be no. Hyper mobile for now for 12 years, which is like a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, yeah, the rest of your life, you'd be less mobile. So it's more of an emotional and physical roller coaster. So you just like for a, for fucking 12 years, you go on like a crazy vacation and it's like a Walter Mitty movie where you just maximally yeah. experience life. Like, what, am I a, like- like, what about like the rom-com of this, ver- like where you meet someone at like year 11 Oh, and then you start to really get to know each other, fall in love, and then you have to like break it to her that you're gonna become really disabled again. Is it a rom com? Well, it's it's yeah yeah it could be. We should write that shit. Hollywood, know, somebody, Ryan O'Connell, really let's depressing. let's write that. Let's make that. Let's not make it a rom com. Let's make it like a deep love story. Can we workshop the title Twelve Years a Gimp? Yes, because I'm. But the I working title really is the word camp. 12 Years of Crip. Um, <laughs> so then back to the back to the movie we're supposed to be talking about. So then then um, then he we realize he's strong. He does all this stuff. He yells at Ronnie a bunch and she goes back. He's he starts. She goes to see her boss for, that wants to like see this telepod. And he's like, Go have we th- said that they're dating? We've mentioned that, right? Ronnie, yeah. like they were dating before. Ronnie and the yeah. boss, yeah, I mentioned right. that. Ronnie and the butt. Sorry, um, <laughs> give me a song. So they're they're there. So she goes to see him, and she's like, he's set this weird. I don't know what to do. And he's like, get him to film it. Get him to film himself. So then, I think we cut to Seth being like, well. All my teeth have fallen out, and here's a new way that I eat. And he takes a straw, and like you can see his teeth falling out, and you can see like him showing you how he eats, which is really gross. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a so Ronnie takes um the one of the hairs off of Seth's back, like before he starts to very clearly uh degenerate. Um, and she brings it to a lab, and she comes back to Seth and is like, dude, you're becoming a fly or like the hair that's growing out of you is not human. She was like, you're not a person. Yeah. So he's like, Oh fuck what happened? So he kind of snaps out of his, his like uh, testosterone fueled like boner rage and uh, starts to research his body. And he asks his machine, like what happened? And the machine says, yeah, like you're, you went in the telepod with yourself and a fly and it spliced your your genome and now you are brundlefly like the fly <laughs> won out in the gene transformation or whatever and so he's like oh fuck i'm becoming a fly and then in response instead of like like initially like wallowing in depression he kind of goes through the stages of grief and develops this morbid fascination with his transformation and so ronnie helps him film himself sort of cataloging how his new body works oh yeah yeah so he he demonstrates to her um how he now eats which he can't he can't ingest hard foods because 
his his intestines reject it so he has to instead like puke out this bile all over it and then suck up the result and i was thinking i know like this is really morbid and stuff but like like you know disabled people need help uh eating and i I I was thinking about this the whole fucking time world like you know you have the the g-tube and you have you can take like little tiny bitty bites and then nothing else and then you know so i mean there is total parallels of like yeah man disability there all of my dinner tonight i had a hard time chewing them so it was either stop eating the olives or find a way to dissolve them in fly bile right Mm, hot (laughs) um and then you know then he goes then as he's learning about his new fly body his body starts falling apart and just you know the gore of like he loses his ear and he loses his teeth and he his yeah skin... that's kind of i think his nails fell out right and that's yep. kind of yeah. when he was like oh maybe she's right maybe i am turning into something crazy mm-hmm. and so like i think there i remember watching it and saying to both of you like there are parallels between like what happens when your body changes really fast yeah. and what happens when you're or even really slowly when you're disabled in your body goes through a change that you're not ready for or you're not super like comfortable with and so that happens to disabled people all the time obviously we don't turn into flies but like you know the loss of 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 function or the loss of a certain ability can be can be kind of paralleled here when he loses his nails and his teeth and stuff like that yeah there's kind of two things there's there's that like the physical deterioration or losing abilities and then never being quite ready always feeling like you're behind the eight ball and then the other one that's equally interesting to talk about is how he felt and also Ronnie kind of felt even though she really really loved him so tried to overcome it but it was hard for her to like look at him the same way Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that totally parallels how how disabled how how non-disabled people look at us when either when we're when we become disabled through an accident or through like a stroke or through something like that or you know our disabilities progress to the point where things change we often have people look at us a different way because they're not ready to, to they're not ready to handle how how our bodies are changing um there's also like seth's apartment falls apart with him so Mm -hmm. in the later scenes of the film like you know when ronnie comes to check on seth like his apartment is in various states of like total disarray and i suppose it's supposed to parallel the the way like uh, like a dumpster fly lives like just basically amidst (laughs) its own filth um but it also sort of mirrors like you know uh, people with dementia or disabled people who kind of lose the ability to look after themselves in their spaces and if their bodies change quicker than their support network is able to kind of adapt then there's going to be evidence of neglect or i mean and you're right but or i mean just if you have a shitty support network yes I can't tell you how many times I've had, I've had this. some things been left out of my house. I'm like, that should have gone away forever ago. Why am I so lucky at it? Like, I mean, but I think it does parallel. Like a lot of disabled people can't clean up after themselves and can't 
physically keep a clean home by themselves. So if you don't have support or you don't have good supports, then that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, w- one thing that we kept sort of mentioning repeatedly was, you know, after Seth starts transforming and becomes sort of more and more objectively ugly or insect-like, like I guess to human psychology, like an insect is really, really ugly because there's very little like anthropomorphic about an insect body. Like very little of it resembles a mam a mammal that is appealing to us. Uh, so, are you saying that you're turned on by dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. But um, <laughs> the. Uh, so yeah, Seth kind of gets like progressively uglier and then the people in his life are less and less are more and more afraid of seeing him, of interacting with him, not even necessarily because he might harm them, but because they just don't know what to do. And so the people that come by Seth's apartment, there's the sense that they're just like dropping in periodically to visit him and be like, are you still alive? Okay, bye. And there's a lot of that in, in disabled people's yeah. lives, especially like, you know, as, as adults, like in our thirties, you know, the people around <laughs> us who are able-bodied, they're kind of moving through the stages of life, like quite naturally, quite unimpeded or whatever. And we kind of get out of sync with them after, after our twenties, after our educations. And when we try to enter the workforce, which is another fucking really hard step, but so we lose step with the people that we grew up with. And then it, it almost becomes like, like we no longer have enough in common with them to, to really spend meaningful time with them. And, you know, that, that is a slight exaggeration sometimes, but it, it can happen, I think, right? Quite a bit. I think we all have friends that pop in just basically for a checkup. Yeah, and they, they have no interest, like Ronnie's not going to take Seth anywhere to like have someone else look at him or be seen with him out in public or whatever. Yeah. Like no one accommodates Seth past a certain point because there's this sort of implicit understanding that he's morphed into something less than human. And that's incredibly bleak, but it's super it's relatable. Incredibly ableist too. Like if we really, we really look at it. The idea, what you just said there, you know, us being less than a human yeah. is unfortunately how a lot of people, whether they mean to or not, how a lot of people see us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like there's portions of Seth's transformation that really do feel like he's incurring a disability. There's a moment where where he doesn't quite know how to stand yet with like how his limbs are evolving so he's sort of limping around like with an inverse walker um and yeah like we've covered uh him basically like losing limbs that are no longer useful in his fly form and just sort of looking like studying his appearance in the mirror like sort of flabbergasted but kind of fascinated at the same time and just like it's too traumatic for him to really process so he's he just looks at it through the lens of a scientist being like, oh, this is curious. I, uh, Let's do I, a deep, a deep question. I have a deep question. Though, okay. Okay. Go ahead. Just popped in my brain. And I won't forget. Um, have either of you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and thought like, oh, oh man, it's like hard for me to see myself in the mirror without clothes on or like at certain angles, like there's a lot of body dysmorphia in me and I've 
gotten better at dealing with it over time but like yeah it sort of never leaves you yeah i mean i i was thinking the same i had the same question come into my mind when jamie was talking about that it's you do uh at least i will look at myself in the mirror and see my body changing and i kind of have to compartmentalize it or build up this like emotional barrier to look at myself so that I can see it in an objective enough way to be like is there anything I should be concerned about <laughs> yeah and yeah then like... also you know is there anything that I can do to make myself look quote better or passable enough to like go outside and have somebody look me at and have somebody want to yeah. like engage and so, so like yeah. We should stress like these are all anxieties that able-bodied people go through as well, and maybe yeah. maybe it's unfair to say that, th- like, the anxiety is super super amplified for a disabled person. But I, I think, don't think it's unfair. I don't, I don't think it's unfair at all. No, I um, I just like yeah, I think I, it depends on the person whether yeah. you're disabled or not. Like there are able-bodied people with higher levels of body dysmorphia and disabled people with lower levels and more confident and you know there's the full spectrum but uh, I would agree with Andrew that probably statistically you know when when we're looking at a world that tries to you know we're getting better but generally tries to see if everyone can look the same and then you just literally can't so it's hard for you to not get that out of your head. And, you know, there are, there are moments when I look in the mirror and I see, like, you know, you mentioned, Tony, as your body's changing, I look in the mirror sometimes and think, well, you know, this thing is happening because I can't take care of myself and I can't do it. Or I can't, like, you know, sometimes my gums will bleed because I have trouble brushing my teeth. Or, like, sometimes, you know, my I'll have dry skin because I can't wash my own face. And so... You look at that stuff and you're like, it's just a reminder of all the things you can't do for yourself. And that can be hard. Yeah. Well, and it, it's hard to know, like to find that balance when you look in the mirror and you see a zit or bleeding gums or something. And you're like, oh, like I should probably get a better face wash or have my attendants brush my teeth longer. And then there's the other side of it where you see, you know, like your wrist is bending in a weird way and you have to kind of decide, do I need more physio for this or Mm -hmm. do I just have to accept that this is my life now? Yeah. Is this something that I can control? Is this just like a natural consequence of aging that everyone goes through? Or is this my disability exacerbating something? Yeah. 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 Because it's probably unhealthy both ways it's probably unhealthy to try to hold on to everything forever indefinitely and just not accept any changes with your body Mm -hmm. but it's also unhealthy to just kind of let yourself go and be like well i'm disabled so i can't do anything about it one thing that drives me crazy is that you know um all all growing up like my parents and my sibling have kind of maintained this certain standard of able-bodiedness I think and it's like an it's like a unspoken or unwritten set of rules 
about what it means to be autonomous in my situation. And mm -hmm. so as my body kind of fails me over time, you know, like I get arthritis in my knee or shoulder, or I get nerve pain from scoliosis in my back, or like hip dysplasia causes me constant discomfort while sitting for prolonged periods of time. It's like little things like that. They, they add up to the point where your, your will to continue to, to be as mobile or whatever, to maintain a certain standard of mobility, it, it does wane. And you do have to allow yourself some room uh, to embrace the way that your body is changing and accept the way that you are. Otherwise, it's, it's all consuming. And you have to be able to tell those standards, those unwritten rules to fuck off. Because it's, a, it's such a hard line, though, because like Tony said, you, you can't just, I don't think it's healthy to just be like, oh, I'm disabled, though. I'm not going to brush my teeth ever again. No, <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. But I, hear, I get what you're saying of like, knowing how hard it is, sometimes you're just like, I don't want to do it today. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's good to aspire to the expectations that people have of you that will better you. But it's often hard to decide what is in fact healthy and what is ableist. That's, that's the, my biggest dilemma, I think, as a disabled person. You know, what do I aspire to? And, you know, where, when is it okay to, um, <laughs> to let things go? Like, do, like, if you're setting your stand, yeah, I, have, I think I have this too, where, you know, people will be like, wow, you've got your shit together so well. Yeah. And it's like, are you saying that because, like, is it, an unwritten end of the sentence that despite you're being disabled yeah you know what is. i mean like yeah. if i was able-bodied and this was my life would you put me to, on the same standard would you still think that my life was as together or whatever as it is or are you just saying that because you're like wow look at you and you still wake up in the morning you know what i mean yeah yeah that sentiment just like hangs over me that's that's a lot of it's a lot of bullshit. Yeah. So then, but basically, I don't even think the people that say it know what they're like. No, no. To them, to them, it's a gesture, like of yeah, kindness. Being genuine. Yeah. yeah, and of understanding. Like they like aspire to even emulate a certain amount of your courage in the face of adversity or whatever right. bullshit they have going through their head. You know. <laughs> You're so courageous. So yeah. Courageous. <laughs> yeah. Really. Um. So then Seth Burndall, basically the movie just continues. He just turns into a fly. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is where it turns into like a B-horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's really no more disability like things we could talk about here, I don't think, because he just turns into a fly. Oh, and then, oh, and then, so he turns into a fly. He tries to kill her boyfriend because I guess- It takes his, a weird turn. I guess his fly self wants to, even though his boyfriend's really done nothing to him. Yeah, he's trying to eliminate the competition, essentially. No, no, no. Wait, guys, she was pregnant. Oh, oh we missed, yeah, we, we missed, missed the whole, whole fucking chunk. Okay, so then. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, Tony, yeah, bring it, bring it home for us. Yeah, so they, um, they being Grundlefly and Ronnie were banging back when he came out as a uh, sexy hot larva and he was like fucking <laughs> Ronnie on his bed till he was sweating yeah. drinking 
like double fisting water bottles to keep up. Yeah, he didn't need and, no more carnal lessons. He was the teacher at that point. Right, he was a carnal teacher. <laughs> and so they they're banging, and then naturally he's got those fly fly swimmers and impregnates Ronnie. Important question. So, do flies have sperm? Oh God, That's I don't a know. Great question that I do. I'm so happy Imagine I don't have the brand of so Asperger's cute. that cares about that shit. uh it has to right there has to be some anyway i'm not diving down that rabbit hole and try now i just started visualizing what fly dicks look like okay yeah it's it's i'm sorry for my anyway so they she eventually realizes she's pregnant and um she tells her boyfriend that she's pregnant yeah, she tells Stathis that she thinks she's gonna have his baby, and he and she's like, "Take me to the, take me to the the abortion clinic. Take me to the clinic." And then, so then, there's this whole kind well, of. She goes to tell him, right? Oh yeah, she goes to tell Grendelfly. Grendelfly that she's preggers, and then then what happens? I can't remember. Well, he's like, he's like, uh, what does he say? He's like really weird about it. Um, I don't really remember like what he's saying. If he's, I don't she, even, I don't even think she tells Brundlefly that she's pregnant. Yeah, she I think she to, tells Stathis. Yeah, she goes to check on Seth and realizes that his prognosis is essentially terminal, and right. she decides not to tell him that she's pregnant, and she starts to fear that she's doomed, or that she, like you know, by proxy has Seth's <laughs> disease. She has like a dream where she's giving birth and then eventually like pushes out a big baby maggot. Or no, or like a sack of fly babies, like an like an amniotic sack of fucking <laughs> insects. It's really gross. <laughs> it's it's so gross. It's funny because like oh, so yeah, the, the the reason that Seth knows that she's pregnant is because he's like spying on her outside of his apartment when she's leaving to go to the abortion clinic. And so he kind of catches on and he follows uh, Seth or he follows Stathis and Ronnie to the clinic. <laughs> and Andrew was like, so overcome with eighties nostalgia. He was like, Oh Look, my God. And it was, it was, they filmed that. Cause I live in the distillery district of Toronto. They filmed that like 10 seconds from where I'm looking at right now. So <laughs> yeah. But you were also just like really into the eighties. You're like, Oh man, imagine, look at that. Look at this 80s maternity war. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look, an 80s abortion clinic. I want to go to there. <laughs> Listen, it was really cool. Just leave me alone. Um, <laughs> so, you know, then they get into a whole discussion of, of should she abort the baby? And her her boyfriend keeps saying, like, well, it's going to be deformed. It's going to be look different. And, of course, there are huge dis- disability implications with those statements. because. Yeah. You know, it brings up the the idea of which bodies deserve to live. And yeah, and also the, like the inherent wrongness of disabled people procreating. I I've had people very close to me. Uh, I'm not gonna like drop names or whatever, but Do very it. close to me, close enough that they know me well. They know my life is okay. They know everything about like what disability at least could be from my life 
and the people that are like, you know, some of my friends and everything. And I've had them when they, when she found out she was pregnant, go like, yeah, I'm going to get checked to see if like, maybe it's going to have a disability. Because if, if it turns out that it will be disabled, uh, I don't think I'm going to follow through. What? Yeah, to me. What did you do when they said that to you? I I didn't really know what to do. I was like, uh, okay. Like, I mean, you can't be like, you can't do that. Like, it's still her body, her choice. But it's still like, you know, it's hard not to take that a little bit personally. I, like, it displays a shocking amount of, uh, or a shocking lack of self-awareness at the very least for her not I think to, they were like, realize to present like, company. I th- yeah, I think her point was like, you of all people would understand. Oh, God. <laughs> Pretty oh, sure God. when I was, right after I was born, my grandmother, my, my dad's mother said to my mom, like, they went out to have, they went, they, I don't know where they were, but she said to her, like, why would you keep him? Why would you... <laughs> Why? And my mom was like, because uh, yeah. he's like, kid? Yeah, I mean, imagine having, because you obviously, uh, I, I think, you nobody knew you were disabled till after you were born, right? Well, they knew something was wrong because they came out early and I was blue. So they knew something right. was definitely wrong. But you were still born at that point. Yeah. So... Yeah, it would be really weird if your mom was like, oh, yeah, I don't want that one. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I guess it's a little different if you if you do a test right after you find out you're pregnant and you're like, yeah, based on the mom and the father's genes, you know, you're definitely going to end up with this kind of disability. But still, like, I mean, just don't tell me that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can't. I can't like what did you say when she was like if like did she forget that did she forget that you had a disability too when you were hearing this I should also say like I was probably like 10 to 15 years old oh no that's yeah, even like, worse I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to really process like, it and have and, like, like an adult stand up for yourself and say like what did what are you what are you talking about oh god yeah, you're old I, enough but, to internalize it for the rest of your fucking life yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I still don't know, like, if someone said that to me today, depending on who it was and how well I was able to communicate with them, I don't know how I would respond. Because it's still not, you know, I can't, I don't want to pressure someone into or out of that decision either way. Of course, but I think the fact that disability is a factor in in pregnancy terminations. It was like the only factor. Like, I don't love that. Like, yeah. But yeah. but if you were gonna have a fly abort the abort the fuck out of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you do a test, you know, like, just find out if they're gonna have SMA, and the doctor's like, no, no, no SMA, but it's gonna be a maggot. Just be <laughs> like, oh, okay, maybe not. So That's then, like, the movie doesn't do anything else except like he goes to eat the boyfriend's hand off with his gross like fly mouth. And then what else happens? And he goes like a weird like Ron, Ronnie shoots uh yeah. R- Ronnie shoots Seth uh in the head with a shotgun after he tries to put her in the telepod. Um so he wants to fuse his DNA with 
Ronnie and the baby so that the resulting, uh, I don't know, mammal or creature ends up more human than fly. And then they can effectively be one, which is some kind of like gross metaphor for like, you know, what couples are essentially producing or trying <laughs> to do when they have a, a baby. Like you're, you're trying to, that except for yeah, you. no one, not one person was <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, but like when you have a kid, like the idea is that you're Let's having make a, one really good one. Like no, the idea is that you love somebody so much that you wish that you, like they could be part of you and you could be part of them. So when you have a kid, that's effectively what you're doing. So I mean, I mean, I'm gonna just gloss over that weird. I don't even know how to segue out of that. So I'm just gonna pretend that you never said it. Maybe it's worth discussing. I. <laughs> we we could, but I want to talk about like if. We're using the fly as a metaphor for disability, and she shoots him in the head. Uh-huh. Like, would you shoot disabled people in the head <laughs> with a shotgun? <laughs> no, no. But would like if your disability was getting worse, and you knew that like this is so controversial, but let's go there. Let's and go. you and you knew that like things were getting harder for you to live. Would you? want somebody to help you out of that if you were in pain and you wanted to just go? Well, that's a very personal question. Like, I don't think, I think you can only really figure it out for yourself. But would I? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think so. But it's really hard to know what my life could end up as. I would definitely want to like see like a team of psychologists to find out if I'm fucking just clinically depressed. Right. And what I, I in fact need to do is change my headspace. If you were in like constant physical agony and there was nothing around, you tried all the medications and it's to the point where like you can't even function anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're basically like, either drugged up or sleeping or that's it i mean i guess the point where i guess the point where the brundlefly asks her to shoot him in the head he's just yeah just a head like at that point he has no legs he's fused with the telephone so he can't do anything so like i guess and i think at that point also part of it was if you don't shoot him he's gonna actually start hurting other people around him and so that's the big differentiator there. Like, if it was just that he, you know, if it's the I became idea more that... and more disabled and started, like, ruining all my friends' lives and stuff like that, then I would want my dis- my friends to tell me. Essentially, if you're no longer Anthony anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a part in the film that I found really, really moving. And I'm not sure if you guys agree. But there's a moment when um, Seth sort of delivers a monologue to Ronnie when she asks him for the final time before she goes to, to for the abortion, like, you know, is he going to be okay? And sh- sh- he tells her, like, no, I'm not going to be okay. You have to leave um, because I am an insect who dreamt he was a man. But in fact, you know, I'm... I am now a fly. And if you stay like insects do not have morals or politics 
or mercy and I will effectively hurt you. Right. Which I think and, is actually totally wrong because if you watch any nature documentary from like the last 10 years, you learn they really do have politics and maybe not morals, but they do have systems of like <laughs> survival. The expression is like, she wouldn't even hurt a fly. But then the implication in the movie is, but the fly will fuck you up. <laughs> it's, this kind, it's this kind of moment, though, where, where Seth is effectively like accepting his faith or fate. Sorry, not yeah. faith. Um, but like, really, I mean, if, if you look at it through the lens of disability, like he's he's accepting that he's disabled. And like it's a it's a profoundly tragic moment. It's not a moment of like self-actualization or positivity in the film. Well it's that a- too, I think, is because Cronenberg is not a disabled person. If we if we were to remake the fly using the lens we've been talking about this whole time of like disability politic yeah. and hire like a disabled director to shoot it differently and to like put that in there, I think the movie would be a completely different thing. Right. For sure. But it does raise a valid point. Like, should, you know, if it was a disability movie and this monologue was in the movie, like, I've become so disabled now, there's basically no point in even being around me. Well, I mean, that, that we, be... we've we've all reviewed me before you. That's basically yeah. what he, he said there. Like, like, that's basically what he said in that movie, too. And so... Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, like, one thing that the horror genre does for this movie and the framework of this creature feature, essentially, is that it takes this allegory for for old age and illness and disability, and it creates a, a, a suffering person who, like, the audience is allowed to be, like, openly afraid of. And I'm not arguing that that is a good thing that we are afraid of Brundlefly and that he disgusts us. But in movies that are less metaphorical, that actually like uh, don't have disability in the subtext, like it's in the foreground, like the, the audience is constantly persuaded to sympathize in really gross ways and not really to ever admit to themselves that this is something that alienates them and makes them feel uncomfortable. And you can't make people confront their ableism until you can get them to acknowledge that they are afraid of it. Um, And so I think there's something really powerful about horror in this context, in, in the idea that by the end of this film, Seth basically devolves into a B-movie monster. It's like campy, the extent to which he now is a fly. It's like weird. In a, in I, a had, fly. Sorry, I had, I had, sorry, go ahead. It, it, it's campy, right? That he's in this full-fledged fucking fly suit. He, he literally no, no longer looks human, but you still feel sorry for him that mm. this is still happening to him and that he is evidently in so much pain and he is so significantly divergent from what he was only a month or two ago. So when Ronnie shoots him in the head, like, yes, you want her to be safe, but you also realize that there's an element of grief to her having to kill Seth and that oh, yeah. things things are not okay by the end of the film. She will carry his death with her forever because she loved him and because it was that love that constantly motivated her 
to try to help him to stay in his life. It's what actually motivated him to try to fix his problem. And like, he didn't have the right way to fix it, of course. And it was selfish. And like, there's, there's a lot of like misogyny and aggression and abusiveness in, in, in his ways of coping with his problem. But, um, you know, it's, it's that love that is like the kind of catalyst to all of the events after Seth becomes sick. And it's the reason why we care when he fucking has to die. And so that's why I think it's an amazing movie. It leaves you with the wrong sort of attitude toward disability, I think, for sure. And there needs to be a reimagining uh, from a cripple context. I want to see it as a fucking, a fucking comedy and he could just turn into like, an actual fly, and then he could just fly around the city being a fly. Like, can, it, yeah. can we can we do that movie? Because if I could fly, <laughs> if I could fly, I would do it. Or what if it sure. was a comedy and like you threw like a urinal or a commode chair in, oh in the in the pod, and then you start becoming disabled that way? Like you put an able-bodied person in there on a commode chair. And then they come out the same, <laughs> and their whole life is them just trying to figure out how they can find the closest curb cut. Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> you should we could should make this film. Let's talk about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, then then that's the end of the movie. But I think you know, <laughs> I think I mean there wasn't much else that happened, right? No, nope, wasn't. that's it. That's all. Um, I think like, um. It's really interesting because I don't think when when people talk about it, they put it they put it in, in a disability lens. Well, if they're putting it in an aging lens, they're uh, without they're inadvertently putting it in a disability lens, right? Because aging is just the most natural form of disability. Right? <laughs> it's disability over time. Yeah, it's just the disability that is normalized for everyone. Person plus time equals disability. <laughs> yeah, everyone is going to become disabled. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, that's literally, that's literally the crux of disability politic, is yeah. that it's all going to be part of our lives. But um, do you think there's like a person listening to your podcast right now, Andrew, that's on a treadmill? that's actively thinking that they're bettering themselves and they just don't want to accept the idea that <laughs> they too will become disabled. I don't know. No, I think the majority of people listening to my podcast right now are sitting in their wheelchairs being like, this is a weird departure from the show. What's happening? What? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but no, I think, I think there, and I know there are able-bodied people and non-disabled people that listen to the show to learn stuff. And I like this because it's not, it wasn't exactly like a great flex and joysticks that was exactly like what I do, but it was cool because we had to talk about a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that I didn't think we'd go down. So it was fun. I had, I had fun. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, there's definitely someone out there on a treadmill yelling and being like, that is what I'm going through right now. Because <laughs> there's probably people out there, right, who are fully physically able bodied and they have all the, physical tools at their disposal to all the bells and whistles yeah like so they can like you know run down a treadmill and 
they have a flight of stairs that actually lead somewhere that they can use and they're using it and then you know there's always that one person who has eaten healthy his whole life never smoked a cigarette exercises all the time and still you know ends up getting like a terrible diagnosis or something happens and it's it's really just out of everyone's control Mm -hmm. so Uh, get off the treadmill dude yeah get off the treadmill open that bag of chips sit in your comfy chair you've done it every day this week you can take a break sit in that comfy chair and listen to the cripple threat podcast speaking of just one episode how do the how can the people get a how can they get a hold of you how can they listen to your show how can they support you yeah so right now we are cripple threat you can find us you know anywhere you can find podcasts um and then we do have an email address if people want to reach out and send us movies that they think we should watch we've had some pretty pretty great interactions with some guests or some some fans who have given us ideas of movies to add to our list and that is just cripple threat podcast at gmail.com and then uh, you can find us on twitter and instagram i'll be honest we're not very good at social media right now but we're working on it. And they're, they're yeah. a new show. They're, you, you guys are a new, you're a new outing. And I think it's, I think, you know, it's about time we have podcasts that, that it's like, it's like you're like a comedy podcast that talk about, you know. D- yeah, I think our favorite episodes are the ones where we think we're being funny. Exactly. Uh, so I would say that, you know, it's, it's always weird to call yourself comedian or like comedy, but. Um, I would say your comedy. That's what yeah, we're yeah. trying for, for yeah. sure. Um, and Jamie is the more like, like Jamie's a smart one for professorial sure. of the two of you. But yeah, yeah, there's comedy in there, and and you know this this episode was a little taste of that, and so I want you to come back, and I want to do another one like this because it was fun. I had fun. This um, was really fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. Of course. Uh, so Jamie Mendek and Anthony McAuliffe of the Cripple Threat Podcast, thank you for coming on and showing me that the fly was a love story, which I don't believe. <laughs> and also that it was uh, definitely a disability film, which I never thought of until I watched it. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. This is super fun. Let's do it again. All right, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Well, that's another beautiful episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening and being there for every episode of the show. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com and you can book me for talks and see more of what I'm doing. You can also follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore. That's where I do a lot of my disability justice and social justice stuff around disability, have a lot of great conversations around disability, and try to make disability accessible to everyone there. So follow me there. If you want to follow the podcast, you can download it on any podcast player, as well as you can go to our Twitter, our Disability After Dark Twitter, DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Um... Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to support the show, again, you can go to patreon.com 
slash disability after dark to pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month. Also, please, wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It really helps getting, getting the show noticed. Also, if you want to be on the show, pop me an email at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know your suggestions for show ideas, things you want to hear on the show, stories about disability that you want a light shot on. Thank you so much for listening. I'm, of course, your delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021